www.brfcs.com. By the fans. For the fans. Since 1986. Welcome to BRFCS podcast number 78, our first podcast of the 2014-2015 season. I'm Wen Waihu, the BRFCS editor. We finished last season's podcast back in May, discussing a 12-match unbeaten run and finishing short of the playoffs. The unbeaten run came to an end after 14 games with defeat at Norwich a week ago, but we've had a, a decent, if somewhat unspectacular, start to the new season. Uh, seven points from the first four games, so uh, here's hoping we'll be able to pick up and put together a sustained challenge for promotion to the Premier League during the course of this season. With me in the virtual studio for this first podcast of the season to discuss a start to the season and look at the close season dealings on the transfer front is Chief Reporter Cami. Also joining us later to look at the annual report and accounts of Venki's London Limited, which has just been published, is financial expert Philip L. Well, Cami, um, it's good to have you on again. Good evening. Yeah, nice to be doing a podcast after such a long time, Ben. Yes, so, yeah. it's good. Mm. Yeah, just like to uh, take this opportunity to thank everyone who's been uh, uh, tweeting us on uh, on the BRFCS account and asking for these podcasts. Uh, it's taken a bit longer than we hoped, but you know, hopefully they'll be more regular now. Yeah, um, they they should settle down to a fairly regular pattern of uh, once once every week uh, from now 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 that we're we're settled. Yeah, uh, it's good good to uh, get back into uh, the run of things. Uh, it's been good to uh, uh, get the forums going again with some uh, real real discussion rather than uh, uh, talking about very little indeed over the summer. Very quiet summer, um, and uh, we're 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 glad to be up and running uh, with a new season. Uh, we played uh, um, Norwich and Bournemouth in the last week. Um, reverse at Norwich for our first defeat since uh, March the 12th against Bournemouth, as it happens. And uh, that was on the back of uh, a reasonable uh, start to the season with a, a draw against Cardiff and then a, a very good away win at Blackpool. Um, Norwich and Bournemouth, um, if we'd like to just go through those, Cammy. Um you uh, you saw the Bournemouth match, of course, uh, down at Ewood. Uh, Norwich, uh, you've only seen uh, through the uh, uh, Rovers player, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Uh, couldn't get to Norwich on a. It was a midweek game, so it's very difficult yeah. for me to get down it's there. Miles away, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, full credit to I think it was six or seven hundred that actually went down to to Norwich on a Tuesday night. It was absolutely fantastic effort from everyone. Um, but yeah, I've, I've I've seen the full highlights via the Rovers player, and really it was a game. We we started amazingly well, of course, with uh, Tom Kenny scoring after forty three seconds. I think it was um, a, a cracking finish as well to give us put us one nil up. But then it was a game which really turned on two decisions. Um, we had a what looked like a clear penalty. Uh, having seen all the replays, etc., not given to us. And then 10 minutes later, um, Norwich had the ball wide and they, they put a cross in. And uh, Jason Law was only a few yards away from the winger and he hit his hand. And referee 
blue for a for the penalty. Very very soft penalty, I thought, because um, you know he, he didn't make any gesture to stick his hand out or anything like that. He was he had his hands down. The, the guy crossed it and it just ha- happened to hit his hand. He you know he, it was more uh, ball to hand rather than hand to ball. Um, so that was very harsh uh, penalty, particularly considering we hadn't been given one literally ten minutes beforehand. Um, so you know they got. Even then, um, Robinson saved uh, Graben's uh, penalty, um, but then the rebound sort of was kind for Norwich, and Graben was able to uh, to take away one-one. Um, after that, uh, to to be fair to Norwich, they completely dominated the game, particularly the second half. Um, they poured forward, and uh, it was Paul Robinson um, making at least three or four world-class saves, which actually kept us in the game. Uh, unfortunately, um, uh, we couldn't hold on. And after 87 minutes, they got their second goal. Um, and then as we pushed forward uh, to try and get an equaliser, in fact, we had one cleared off the line and they hit us on the break and and obviously beat, beat a 3-1. And that brought to an end that long unbeaten run that we'd had. Um, so it was disappointing in terms of, first of all, we were winning 1-0. We could have been 2-0 up with a penalty, but the referee uh, didn't give us that decision and then gave them a soft penalty. But then, fair credit to Norwich, um, second half in particular, um, they completely controlled and dominated the game and and we were indebted to Paul Robinson for keeping us in the game for su- such a long period. It's just a bit disappointing then to get so close uh, for for them to, to to get a winner right at the end. Yeah, um, Paul Robinson came in for some criticism after the Blackpool match, and um, he, he's bounced back with a couple of uh, excellent performances. Very good again against Bournemouth. Uh, now you're talking about the uh, the controversy of uh, two two penalties, one that wasn't. Um, now the new ruling by the uh, by the authorities is that the hands need to be in an unnatural position and um, from from what i read the uh, norwich player um handled it handled the ball on its way into the net uh, but the referee indicated that he thought it was the chest um but uh, with with jason law's one uh, it sounds anything but unnatural to have your hands down by your side I mean, it's a very unusual um, interpretation, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's right. You know, um, Jason Law's hands weren't in an unnatural position, and uh, arguably the the Norwich uh, defender who handled it going into the goal was. And not only would would Rovers have had a penalty, it was most likely the Norwich player would have had to be sent off as well. Um, so, so yeah. Um, I mean. The refereeing for us this season has been poor anyway, because mm. even the Cardiff game, uh, where we had a, a penalty, you know, it was a clear penalty. Again, it was yeah. after first couple of minutes, the ball was in the box, and uh, you know the, the player got fouled, and for some reason the referees decided it was outside the area. So, so even that game, there was some controversy, and obviously we're going to talk about the Bournemouth game, and again, I know we were three nil up, but. Uh, when Bournemouth got the first goal, that was a penalty given against us, and that was a 
complete enough to dive, you know. I could see that from where I was at, 80 yards away. So, yeah, the refereeing has been poor, and unfortunately, uh, uh, this season anyway, thus far, um, the, the, the refereeing, um, you know, has basically cost us some points, you know, because um, poor, poor decisions. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, Norwich uh, were described by Gary Boyer as the, the best team he'd seen uh, since he'd taken over as manager. Um, from all accounts, they deserved the, the victory. Um, what, what was your impression of Norwich? That Apparently, they're uh, one of the favourites, uh, statistically also, one of the favourites to go straight back up. Uh, what was your impression of Norwich? Yeah, they, I mean, they're a very, very good side. They've managed to keep hold of the majority of their Premier League players uh, with the increased parachute payments that the clubs get. They've not really had to sell any of the star players and they have got a fantastic side, you know, Redmond and etc. They've they've got a lot of Premier League class in and they've added Graben. Graben was at Bournemouth last year, did really well and they've added him and he obviously he's made a, a very, very good start to the season. He scored, I think, four goals already for them or maybe even five uh, he, and you know he's just carrying on uh, the form that he'd shown for Bournemouth last year. So he's a very very good striker. So yeah, um, they probably are the best side I've seen as well. Um, I saw him play against Ipswich at the weekend uh, prior to the Rovers game. It was it was a Sky game that was I was watching, and and they looked good against them as well. So uh, them and Derby seem to be the two outstanding sides in 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 the division. Uh, but I mean, as we know. The, uh, the the championships are funny league. You know, teams who start well um, doesn't mean that they'll just go and walk the division. I think anyone's capable of beating anyone on the day. But yeah, from initial impressions, Norwich have looked very very impressive. Yeah. Uh, one other thing from the Norwich match, um, you know, as you say, midweek Tuesday, and uh, getting back from the match, uh, I think. Um, uh, our, our own uh, match reporter Parson Blue was saying that uh, on, on the forum that he didn't get back to Ewood and uh, get to bed until about quarter to five, I think he said, in the morning. And uh, I mean that's uh, it's quite quite an effort to to get five six hundred plus uh, down to Norwich midweek. Um, there was uh, something about Norwich turning down a request uh, to allow the. A, a televised beanback of the match uh, to, to Ewood. Um, do, do, you, do you have any anything on the ins and outs of that request? Uh, basically, the Football League have now uh, come to an agreement that any midweek games, uh, they can be beamed back uh, to... So the away team can beam them back uh, to, to their home ground. And that's, you know available to all clubs uh, across the championship. Um, Rovers made a request to to have a beam back uh, to, to Ewood Park uh, for that particular game. But uh, you've got to get the home team agreement. And for some reason, I don't know why, or, or, or maybe it's a technical thing that Norwich were comfortable doing, uh, they, they were wanting not, not for that to happen. Um, I mean, every single game that Rovers have is... Is is beamed back to Ewood and then beamed live to to Pune so that the owners can see it. So, so there is this beam back going, regardless of of 
of it being live or on TV, Rovers beam back all the games to Ewood and from there it gets beamed to, to Pune. So I think Rovers wanted to extend that and have it maybe on the big screen inside Ewood Park or have it in Blues Bar so, so you know the local fans could get to it. But um, Norwich uh, uh, sort of um, uh, turned down that request. Um, I don't know the reasons why, but uh, it is something that the Football League have now approved that clubs can beam back any midweek game. Um, they can't do Saturday games because of uh, the uh, there's agreement in place that you can't have any three o'clock games beam back. But uh, anything else is it, it is possible to uh, to do that as long as uh, the home team is in agreement. Uh, presumably, uh, there also has to be some kind of financial incentive for for the home team to do so. Is is that correct? Uh, I don't think so. I think. Uh, Maybe you'd have to make sure the away club will probably have to pay for the live beanbag to happen. But mm. um, I, d- I don't think there's any like um, any charge or anything like that, or or any anything extra that a club away mm. club have to pay. It's just to make sure the costs for beaming back are covered. But mm. uh, the, I don't think there'll be anything else. They couldn't say Rovers did a beanbag and sold tickets for two pounds for people to come into Ewood. Uh, Norwich couldn't claim any of that money. That would still all go to Rovers if they wanted uh, to to do that. Yeah, but presumably uh, to compensate the uh, the home team for uh, possible loss of uh, revenue, presumably uh, there is some some kind of fee to be paid. Yeah, I I, I need mm. to I, for the next podcast. Mm. I'll I'll check that. Yeah, yeah. See what the be interesting uh, what the terms yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have a look. Yeah. Uh, into that for the next podcast because mm, I would imagine there'll be quite a few of our listeners who are interested in uh, in in going along to to Ewood to to watch uh, beanbags, uh, especially yeah. for these long distance ones. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Mm, now, Bournemouth was uh, another uh, long distance one for the Bournemouth fans. They only uh, I, I started counting the Bournemouth fans at one stage, but got when I was a little bit bored in the second half. Um, <laughs> weren't that many of them, but uh, well done for coming up uh, up north. Um, three two, but uh, five goals scored. It should all have been for Rovers, should it not? Yeah, it was a weird game. Uh, Bournemouth started off very well. Uh, they do keep possession fantastically. They, their possession was good throughout the game, but um, we kind of controlled the areas where they had. Possession, so we allowed them to have the ball in their own half, and um, particularly in the first half, said right, if you want to pass it around, you can do so in your own half, and we'll sit back and let you do your little passing movements, and then we'll uh, force you to come out a little bit, and then we'll hit you on the break. So, so that worked very well in the first half, apart from the first ten minutes where it took us just a few sort of your time to bed in our formation and see what Bournemouth would do. But after 10 minutes, I thought uh, in the first half, we were brilliant. Um, I thought Gary Boyer's tactics in the first half were spot on where he had his wingers right on the touchline. So Marshall and Conway, they were both literally hugging the touchline. So what happened was when we got the ball, because they were so wide, it stretched the game and it stretched uh, Bournemouth's defence. So the, the full-backs had to go out and cover or the wingers, their wingers had to come back and and really we stretched the game and the pace we have in Marshall and Conway uh, really, really caused them a lot of problems and 
obviously we Jordan Rhodes scored one. Um, it, that was of his own sort of making, really. He, he dispossessed the defender and then cruelly slotted it away. Uh, then was um, Grant Hanley who got the second, and obviously Rudy Gusted uh, got the third, which he sort of deflected in. Um, Three nil could have been four or five nil at half time. Um, uh, Rhodes hit the inside of the post. We had a, another header from uh, Baptiste, which went flying over. I think we had a Gusted chance. So uh, we really dominated that first half after the first 10 minutes. The tactics were spot on. We hit them on the break. Um, we stretched them and they couldn't cope with our pace out wide. And particularly on the left-hand side where Conway and Marcus Olsen were um, really combining very, very well throughout that first half and really stretching that Bournemouth defence and and, and you know, we, we created some fantastic opportunities. Uh, second half, uh, unfortunately, I saw it straight away. Uh, we Whatever was said at uh, half-time, there was a, a change in, in tactics from what I could see anyway. Um, Marshall and Conway were no longer um, hugging the touchline, but they'd come inside, so we were more compact. Uh, the, the midfield was more compact, the defence was more compact. It looked to me, we were happy with 3-0 and we just wanted to sit on that lead. Um, and, you know, to be fair, we we managed that, the game quite well from there. Even though we weren't creating anything, Bournemouth weren't cutting through us, but the game changed on 81 minutes um, where, again, we were done over by a really bad refereeing decision. A ball went into the box and... The player took a clear dive. I could see that from from where I was. And when the referee blew up, I thought he was going to book him for for diving, but he he gave a penalty instead. Uh, That then uh, allowed Bournemouth back into the game. Then a couple of minutes later, from a corner, uh, we left the player completely unmarked and he headed it down and passed uh, Robbo. So that was 3-2. And then the last few minutes was just bedlam in our box. You know, they were chucking the ball in. We're making last-ditch tackles. Um, uh, Robbo made a, a good save. And then right on the death, I think the shot was flying into the top corner and it was Baptiste who stuck his head in the way and blocked it. And, and we managed to hold on for a vital uh, sort of three points. But we made it harder for ourselves uh, um, by sitting back and and changing the way we're playing uh, from in in the second half, but then we weren't helped by uh, you know, we were still comfortable, but in the end it was a refereeing decision which uh, allowed Bournemouth the opportunity to make it three one and and put us under pressure. Yeah, uh, with uh, all the speculation uh, surrounding uh, Jordan uh, before the match, uh, it was pretty much guaranteed that he'd score. <laughs> and uh, the amazing thing about Jordan. Um, he wasn't in the game that much, but he scores one and, uh, and then hits the inside of the post, as you say. He's got a phenomenal record, hasn't he, in, in terms of hitting the target and, of course, scoring. Um, I'm going to come on to uh, the Jordan Road saga uh, in a minute. But, yeah, the, the first half, um, in a 15-minute spell, we absolutely ripped them to shreds. And uh, it could easily have been uh, 4-0 after 28 minutes. A uh, superb bit of a, a attacking play. And, uh, yeah, second half, uh, once you once you take your foot off the gas, 
it's really really difficult to uh, to pick to pick it up again and that proved the case in the last uh, 10 minutes or so um so it's, it's a dangerous uh, dangerous game to play and i never feel confident with uh, with rovers uh, these days uh, they're not uh, defensively sound uh, from front to back i don't think uh, to be playing a a, a, a waiting game trying to pick pick their opponents off so yeah i mean I, I think that they should just keep keep going for the jugular all the time uh, 3-0 up uh, should they should just, <clears throat> just try and dominate uh, do, dominate the teams uh, rather than sitting back and invite pressure on them uh, at the end of the game much rather uh, uh, see, see them uh, um, trying to dominate a cipher uh, for the game rather than uh, um, sitting back but uh, anyway uh, moving on to um, uh, the Jordan Road saga and the transfers um, we've uh, we've had a pretty quiet uh, summer um, the uh, inns happened very early in the in the window Chris Brown uh, and Luke Varney were, were brought in very early on and um, there have been uh, new contracts uh, handed out to uh, Jordan Rhodes, uh, a new uh, five-year contract, and also uh, Dunny and uh, Mark Solson. wasn't clear at the end of last season what would happen, but uh, their contracts were also extended. Uh, one or two people weren't sure about Mark Solson, uh, but he did have a, a decent end to, to the end of last season, and uh, he's, he's been uh, really good, uh, and certainly... Uh, uh, earned, earned his coin at the beginning of this season. Um, it's uh, f- much, much better. More like uh, Olsen Mark one, uh, uh, like his brother Martin. Uh, uh, this uh, this last few games when I've seen him, uh, very impressive uh, for him. Uh, out we've had uh, Alan Judge going to Brentford, and uh, uh, Ruben Rochina uh, has left us uh, as well. Um, there were six players that were put onto the transfer list, and uh, we've we've seen the end of uh, DJ Campbell, David Goodwillie, and Dixon Etuhu, who are, whose contracts were all bought out. And um, uh, Leon Best, uh, we couldn't uh, uh, find a, a buyer for him. Uh, obviously, he's on very high wages, uh, but he's uh, gone to Derby on a season-long loan. Uh, Jordan. Slew uh, was the, the the final member of the six, and uh, he's uh, he's still uh, with uh, with the Rovers. As such, it's it's been a relatively quiet uh, window, but all of that has been uh, dominated by uh, speculation over the last ten days or so uh, concerning uh, Jordan Rhodes. Um, we've just had uh, uh, Gary Boyer going over to Pune for a, a scheduled uh, meeting. Uh, with uh, Mrs. Desai and uh, the Venkis, and he's just got back today, I believe. Um, but uh, yeah, the uh, the Jordan Road saga is quite something. Cami, do you want to just take us through what actually happened uh, over the last week uh, with uh, Jordan Rose and uh, the the uh, uh, approach from Hull City? Yeah, um, I became aware of it on Wednesday. Someone was telling me that uh, a club, a Premier League club, was in for. Or Jordan Rhodes, and they believed it was Hull. Uh, I didn't really take much notice of it. Um, I thought 
we've seen these kind of stories before and uh, um, I'm you know I'm here virtually every month that someone's in for for road so having he, him just signed a new contract as well I thought well whoever it is is I, I can't believe it's any serious interest um, then on Thursday um, at his pre-match press conference um, um, Gary Boyer confirmed to, to the press much to my surprise as well that uh, an approach had been made by Hull and that it had been passed on to the owners um, this was um, a surprise because most times managers don't um, uh, respond to speculation uh, so I was quite surprised that he did that uh, but obviously was concerned because uh, I'm a big Jordan Rhodes fan and I was thinking well you know, why was it not rejected outright um, if he if he wasn't for sale, so that suggested to me that the approach was serious and it was at a level in terms of finance that um, the the board at Ewood felt the owners needed to make a decision. Um, obviously, it went up to the owners. Um, despite what the statements saying on Saturday, you know, said that they'd rejected any approach, it does appear that one of the owners at least has given Derek Shaw some authority to negotiate a potential deal with Hull because Hull believe that they were given a figure uh, that Rovers would feel uh, as Rovers would feel is acceptable. So I think that's twelve million pounds. And then negotiations started on Friday between uh, Rovers and Hull to try and thrash out a deal. Um, I think eventually it got. The second bid was £11.5 million uh, transfer fee plus um, Alex Bruce, who uh, Hull value at half a million. So that was £12 million, plus another £2.5 million pounds in add-on based on performance. So in total, potential deal could have been worth uh, £14.5 million if you include Alex Bruce uh, Alex Bruce at 500,000 Rovers were also given the opportunity to take a look at another two players. Um, I don't know who which two players they were, but Hull you know, said if you want either these two players, that's fine. We're, we're quite happy to include them in a deal. So that was on Friday evening and Hull felt they'd got their man. Um, they thought uh, a deal had been reached. And then on Saturday morning, um, Balaji and Venkatesh were in town. Uh, they'd been in, in London for a few days and they were coming up to Ewood Park um, and a statement was released by Rovers um, saying that you know they'd received two bids from Hull and that they'd rejected them and uh, Rhodes was not for sale at any price. Um, again, I was shocked by that because, um, you know, and I think Hull were as well because they felt negotiations had been going on and that you know Derek Shaw had some authority to to broker a deal with them. But there seems to have been a U-turn. And for me, it's I think it's down to this will be classed as a, a major decision. And for major decisions, all the Venkis are four people. So it's Mrs. Desai, uh, Mr. Desai uh, and... You know, that's Mrs. Desai's husband, Jitendra Desai. Then there's Balaji and then there's Venkatesh. So for a major decision, all four have to be in agreement if 
one is not in agreement, then that major decision can't happen. And I suspect this is what's happened with Jordan Rhodes. One of the owners has said, no, I don't want to sell him. And that's why it's scuppered it. But now we're in a, a, a really bad situation because you've got Hull thinking that they can still do a deal because they were encouraged uh, to put a bid in and were given a ballpark figure that Rovers will be happy with. So they're now going to keep trying. You've got Jordan Rhodes, who's not put in a transfer request yet, but obviously he's committed to Rovers, but then was told on Thursday and Friday that uh, Rovers were willing to sell him. So as a player, he's a bit peeved because he feels that the club have messed him around and were willing to sell him. Uh, you know, and and then change their mind. So you've got that dynamic, and then you've got Gary Boyer stuck in the middle. Really, uh, he wants to uh, improve the squad. He's identified three or four positions that he needs to uh, to improve, but there's no money. So uh, he's been to Pune to talk with Mrs Desai about having some additional transfer funds so that he can strengthen uh, the squad. Um, I don't know what. Uh, what the outcome of those discussions were, but I do know he had two meetings with her, one on the day that he got there and then one uh, this morning before he left Pune. So it'll be interesting to see what's happened, but it could come down to Gary Boyer actually turning around to the owners and saying, look, I'd love to have Jordan Rhodes in the squad, but my priority is to get us up. And it may be that he says, for the greater good of the team, so that he can bring three or four players in, he may tell the Venki that he'd like to sell Jordan Road so that he can have some transfer funds so that he can then strengthen the squad. And that would give us a, a better chance of promotion than keeping Jordan Rhodes. Obviously, I'm a big Jordan Rhodes fan. I don't want him sold. I think 25 goals a season guaranteed is a hell of a lot of gold uh, that you'd be missing and, and, and I wouldn't want him sold. But I think this one could run and run for a at least for another a day or so, maybe even into 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 next week. Um, so so that's where we are at the moment. Yeah, the the window uh, shuts rather soon, though, doesn't it? On Monday, yeah. Yeah. On Monday, yeah. Yeah. That's the f- the first of September. Yeah. yeah. And well, it, it well, closes on the first of September because the thirty first is a Sunday. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and. The last thing Rovers want is to sell him at eleven o'clock on on Monday. You know, um, if Boyer is going to sell him, then he'll want it done early so that they, he has that money and he can spend it uh, well before the transfer deadline on permanent signings, rather than than having to rely on the emergency loan window. Um, mm. So, so you know, if a sale is going to happen, then Boyer would want it done sooner rather than later. But I think it all hinges on the discussions with Mrs Desai. Now, if she's prepared to give Boyer two or three million pounds so that he can strengthen the squad in, in the key areas that he's identified, then I think that that would be the end of Rovers wanting to sell Rhodes. But if she said no, then Boyer's got a big decision to make. Does he go back to the owners and say, well, if I can't have this money, then I really need to sell a player and the only one that's attracting interest is Jordan Rhodes and you know he may I mean it's, it's a horrendous decision for him to make because uh, and you know, and it's no guarantee that the Venkis will obviously listen to him but they seem to consult 
him on footballing decisions. It's his final say, but must be a horrendous position to put yourself in if he's not given any transfer funds, then he may well have to look to sell his star player so that the overall squad can get better and um, you know give us a bit more strength in depth um, and that might improve our chances of, of going up. But, uh, I mean, I wouldn't sell him. Uh, mm. uh, he's, he's 25, 30 goals a season now. It's very hard to replace, but uh, it may be... Uh, Gary, you know, Gary Boyer thinks differently if the owners don't give him any money. Mm, yeah. Now, um, Jordan's uncle is uh, a former uh, rover from uh, the early 90s, uh, Steve Agnew. Um, he's uh, the coach over at Hull. Um, there's some suggestion that... Uh, uh, family links, um, uh, Jordan's father and, uh, and his uncle Steve Agnew uh, may be um, uh, involve, involved in trying to get him over to Hull. Uh, have you heard anything about uh, that? No, I mean from Jordan's side, of, uh, his agent and his representative has said all along that um, they'll, you know, they, they'll work with Rovers and if Rovers don't want to sell him then they, Jordan wouldn't look to push for a move. Um, I don't know Jordan well at all or what he's like, but he comes across as a model professional. Everyone says yeah, that. And yeah. people close to him, uh, a couple of people that I know, have said that it's not, in his, it's not his style really to try and push through a move or try and put in a transfer request. Um, but, you know, he has definitely been unsettled. Uh, absolutely no doubt about that. And a lot of it's uh, Rover's own making. Um, really, uh, when the first bid come, came in, if we didn't want to sell him, they should have just said straight away, no, nope, not for sale, he just signed a new contract, he's our main man, we're not going to sell him. That probably would have been the end of it. But because they started to negotiate with Hull over a couple of days and suggested figures that they felt would be acceptable, it's unsettled him. And you know, he's looked at it and said, well, wait a minute, am I that important to you? Am I not important to you? Why? 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 Why were you talking to them about selling me when all along you've said to me that you're you're our main striker, etc. So I'm sure he's a bit peeved at that, and obviously the way the things have been handled has not been done well. Um, you know, uh, stuff has been leaking out into the press, and and then you know they're negotiating with Hull, and then the owner saying no, he's not for sale. Uh, it's not been handled well at all, and I can see why. Jordan would be upset and a bit confused about what's going on. But everyone that I talk to say he's a model professional. And, you know, you saw that on Saturday mm. after what's been going on. He still was Jordan. He scored, could have had two, you know, um, got a fantastic reception as he went off and a, a hug from Gary Boyer where he seemed to chat to him for about two minutes while he was hugging him. So, um, so you know, obviously that relationship is still there. Um, and and people close to him seem to think he's not the type uh, to to put in a transfer request. So you know we'll, we'll have just to see how that develops. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. I think it all comes down to Gary Boyer. To be honest, he's been and had a word with Missy Desai. He's had two meetings with her. So it'll be down to whether she's approved for him to spend two or three million pounds. If she hasn't, then obviously he's got a decision to make as to what he wants to do next. Yeah. Of course, uh, you're saying Mrs. Desai, though, he's just been over to Pune 
it was uh, um, it was a pre-arranged uh, visit, so it wasn't in response to uh, uh, the Jordan Rhodes uh, saga. I have uh, my doubts. You think? You think? Because if he'd won, you know, they said it was uh, arranged hmm. weeks and weeks and weeks ago. Well, yep. it can't have been because we played Scunthorpe in the Carling Cup two weeks ago, I think, less yep. than that. So if we'd beaten Scunthorpe, then this week we would have had a Carling Cup match yeah, either today yeah. or tomorrow. So he wouldn't have gone to Pune then, would he? So mm. I have my doubts about yeah. that. Although you never know, do you? You never know, <laughs> but uh, you know, he normally does it when there's a, a, a Saturday to Saturday game. You know, mm. I, he would not have gone, the fans would have lynched him if he went to Pune on, 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 you know, before a cup tie. I don't think that would have happened. So, so I have my doubts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. And yeah, Balaji was at the match um, uh, on Saturday, the Bournemouth match, um, second home match uh, that uh, the Venkis have attended. Uh, they were at uh, the Cardiff match as well. Um, makes you wonder why they can't just have, have, a, have a discussion at uh, at Ewood Park, but uh, such is life. It's because Madam Desai is yeah. uh, the key decision maker. Oh, oh yeah. 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 He's no point talking to the brothers, really, because they don't have any... T- they'll tell him... If if they ask Balaji, I want £12 million, Balaji say, yeah, he has £12 million. But as soon as he goes to Mrs. Desai, she'll say, no, you know. So so he's identified who the key decision-maker is and he just goes direct to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, we're um, going to move on to a discussion of Venkis uh, and uh, their financial uh, state. Um, I'd like to... Uh, Welcome in, uh, Philip L. It's uh, been a while uh, since uh, Philip's uh, been on the podcast with us. Um, he's been incredibly busy for the last six months, apparently hardly been on the forums even. Uh, he's been so busy. Uh, but uh, the annual report and accounts of Venkis London Limited uh, have just been published. Uh, they're on the forums from, from today. And uh, Philip L's been going through them uh, to uh, sort out the wheat from the chaff. How, how are you doing, Philip? Very well, thank you. It's very hot here in Malta. It's uh, been 34 degrees today and extremely humid. Excellent. <laughs> it's um, freezing here in uh, in Britain. I think uh, Bank Holiday Monday was uh, one of the wettest and coldest in 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 history. I was hearing earlier, but there you go. But, but you're well. Very well. Yes, thank you very much. Good, good. And uh, extremely busy, so I'm afraid that I've uh, not been present reading the forums or, or contributing, but uh, it's good to be back. Good, 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 good. Now, you've been through the accounts. Uh, could you just explain to us, uh, these are the Venkis London Limited accounts, yeah? That's great, yeah. Venkis London Limited is the company which was set up uh, by um, our friends from Pune, as the vehicle to buy Blackman Rovers from the Walker Trust or from Rosedale Investments, which is a particular vehicle, um, which was the holding um, company of, of the Rovers. Um, apart from a really weird um, small investment which caused them to be qualified, um, there's nothing in Benke's London Limited except Blackman Rovers Football Club. So to all intents and purposes, um, the trading numbers are the trading numbers of Blackman Rovers. 
Uh, however, it gets a little bit more complicated because Blackburn Rovers, um, their accounts, the football club's accounts, run for the football season, so the end on the, the 30th of June. Whereas Venky's London Limited, because of a bunch of things which happened, which included failure to file on time and therefore uh, fines and one thing and another, they run their accounts to September. So the, the two sets of numbers are not coterminous, um, and uh, they also reflect different financial setups. Um, and so whilst the numbers for both sets of, uh, of accounts are pretty dire, I mean, let's uh, not forget that Rovers, the, the club, lost $36 million in the year to June 2013. That's, over, that's $3 million a month. Uh, Banky's London Limited are reporting a loss of uh, 27 million, um, which was a loss of 12 months ago. They, they're, it's a similar loss uh, which we're looking at right now. Uh, so we're in a situation where Rovers are still continuing to hemorrhage. Uh, um, um, losses all the time and they're not really reducing. Um, the interesting thing and the, the only thing which we can look at here which gives us a feeling of some degree of security is the way that uh, Venkis London Limited are financing these losses. There have been uh, injections of additional share capital into Venkis London Limited. That means, in effect, what's happened is that the uh, Venkis people have put in more cash, uh, which means it isn't as uh, a loan, it's as an actual investment to underpin the losses. And then there are loans which come from the State Bank of India. And although those um, facilities were expiring on September the 30th, 2013, and there were a, a whole, um, whole lot of wording uh, which doesn't give very much comfort, um, there is one thing which is rather interesting. It says that the bank reserves the right to ask for a debenture charge over the assets of the company during the life of the facility, i.e. over the asset. The asset is Black Rovers Football Club, if you can call it an asset. But it doesn't say they have taken out a debenture charge. So at the moment, it looks like that although um, rowers are hemorrhaging all this cash and making all these huge losses, um, rowers still have this degree of protection, which is that uh, the debts which are being taken out in India are against Indian assets, not against the club of Blackman Rovers itself. There is an unsecured bank loan in there. The, there, is, um, there's a, a, there are loans which have come from, uh, from, from Venkis themselves, um, 21.5 million of it, uh, with no interest to be charged and no intention for it to be repaid. Um, you know, uh, and 21, uh, 21,039k of that was converted into share capital. So we're looking at a, a situation where you have to say that Venkis London Limited don't look like they are pulling out of rovers. It looks like they're still bankrolling rovers. 
there are all kinds of very strong language in there saying that you know there is no guarantee that they will continue to do so and therefore you know be warned but there's nothing there which actually says that they're on their way out and uh even for a an unrestrained critic like myself and you have to say that the you know the management of the club is still way below uh, anything which um, uh, John Williams would have been responsible for. You know, we've just heard about the farce around uh, Jordan Rhodes. Um, the management at the club is still, still awful, but uh, there's at least one of the bankies, and, you know, Cami, I think we're pretty certain it's Balaji, who is still um, very much backing this toy, uh, some three years or so after it came into his possession. Um, and the money is still going in. Uh, so, you know, frankly, for anybody uh, who looks at ordinary company accounts and lives in a real world of ordinary corporate business, my goodness, this is a horror story. Beyond the horror story, it is uh, atrocious. But there's something about football clubs. And you only need to look at Bolton Wanderers. You know, there the numbers are, are, are spectacularly worse even than the Rovers numbers. Um, you know, Balaji keeps coming good. How long that will continue, I have no idea. I really don't. And particularly when it appears that he isn't even master of his own toy. And in the past... We've looked at that and said, well, you know, thank goodness he isn't. Uh, now, with um, the need to strengthen the club, uh, to really underline a promotion push, if Balaji's been told, no, you can't, um, then maybe we're all suddenly fans of Balaji. What do you think, when? I, I'm, I'm just stunned by, by all the figures, to be honest. Um, First of all, could you confirm, there was um, suggestions that Balaji's money uh, was uh, was being used to finance this, and this was coming from uh, land that uh, he owned. Um, is it still the case that uh, the, the bank is uh, allowing these debts to, uh, to pile up because they have the security of, of land owned by Balaji and that land uh, presumably is still uh, skyrocketing in, in, in price? I believe that's the case. So, and Cammy can um, probably help out here, but um, my recollection is at one point a figure of around 60 million was the size of the facility which he was allowed to go up to. Uh, that was increased from 30 and 40 up to 60 million. So, you know, uh, looking at these numbers, we're not at that limit yet. But um, another year like the one we just had and we go past it. Um, but also there are these uh, comments that this bank facility with the State Bank of India expired on September the 30th. So, you know, that, that, that 60 million facility was potentially um, disappearing. I mean, the bank has not withdrawn the facility and the directors continue to believe that the facility will be renewed on acceptable terms and conditions. Mm. Um, you know, th those statements are there. Um, you know, uh, it's you know we're a long way after September the thirtieth, twenty thirteen. Uh, so 
we're a little bit in the dark here as to what exactly is going on. Uh, but unlike China, which is clearly running into a situation where its property booms coming to an end, um, it would seem that the property situation in India, and particularly around uh, Pune, continues to chug along. Mm. Uh, you know, from from the standpoint of uh, Rover supporters, you know, long may it continue to do so. But I mean, Cami, do, do you have any um, latest uh, from from Pune in terms of what's going on in the family and uh, you know uh, the current uh, standing between these four? Yeah, um, thanks for that insight, Philip. It's very, very interesting to give us some background on what's happening and giving us some understanding of of the accounts. Uh, but uh, my understanding is that we have to remember that the State Bank of India is Venki's bank in terms of all the business that they do in in India and outside India. So the family's got a long-standing relationship with that bank. Um, and obviously they put a lot of business uh, through through that bank because they're the main bankers. So you, you've got to understand that first in terms of facilities, etc. There's a lot of trust between Venkis and the State Bank of India. They've got a long-term relationship and 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 they, they work well together. As far as I know, um, State Bank of India are giving Venkis these loans and these taking these guarantees because Venkis are putting up uh, their assets in India as as guarantees. Now, some of these are their business interest, but I believe some of these are also their personal. So, like Balaji has a lot of land, uh, I believe some of these that have been put up are are are, are those kind of assets. Um, and as far as the family is concerned, um, I. The feeling that I get is they were willing to give it a go for another year, so till the end of the season. They were encouraged by what happened last year with us just missing out on, on a playoff spot and generally the performances improving as, as Gary Boyer uh, got to grips with the squad and he reduced some of the wage bill and bought young hungry players. In. So they were encouraged by that. I think they're going to give it till the end of this season and try and fund it as best they can and see where we are come May and then in May they'll make a decision as to what to do next in terms of do they put the club up for sale or do they say right we'll try and fund some more over the next year and and you know this year I think they put 21 million uh, into the club via the share issue so so yep. that was the funding for this year. No, not so, to the club. They put the, the, the share issue is to the holding company. To the holding company, right. So they put that £21 yeah. million into there. So, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see what they do next May in terms of whether they do that again or whether they decide, well, we've done as much as we can and we now want to move on. Yeah. I mean, look, let me be clear that... Um, Nothing forgives them for what they did uh, after they bought the club from uh, the Walker Trust. Um, I'm not withdrawing a word of, of criticism from that time. However, you know, we're now uh, in a pact with the devil, um, putting it uh, one way, that um, you know, the point I made was that it, it appears that, that Balaji still 
um, supports the club still. He's putting in a huge amount of money for the club. Um, and uh, one can imagine that Balaji is the one who's saying, I'm not selling Jordan Rose, I mean, and this is pure speculation on my part. Um, you know, uh, we're dealing with four people who don't, uh, very, from what we can understand, certainly when it comes to Rovers, don't very often agree with each other. Uh, that that uh, creates a certain degree of inertia. And so long as Balaji is hanging in there, and we know that um, there were possible uh, sales uh, in the past which uh, got blocked, um, you know, um, we're in a situation where, um, at the moment, I think we've just got to say thank you, Balaji. Uh, otherwise, you know, the bailiffs would be in. You're talking about uh, the monthly losses on, in terms of operation. Um, those will only be shown in the club accounts, is that correct? No, no, I mean, look, the, the, the issue is that in the consolidation, i.e. The, the parent company, what you do is you add up all the subsidiaries and you show them in the parent. Now, the parent doesn't do anything. It's, an, it's virtually a non-trading company. So the numbers which you're seeing in the parent company are, in effect, the rose accounts September to September. Okay, so they're subsumed so, within. That's right, yes. I so see, so you, that's why we call it consolidation. You, just, you add all the, all the assets which you own together to create the parent company's accounts. Now, the parent does nothing, so the only thing to add in is rovers. So, in effect, we get two looks at rovers each year yeah. in terms of the trading accounts. You know, and and so you have to say that that there is a a reduction to a certain extent in in the loss compared with the twelve months of June twenty thirteen. Um, the um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the twelve months to June twenty fourteen show uh, when when those accounts come out. Um, and typically, we won't need to wait as long as we do for the Benke's accounts to come out because they use the absolute uh, maximum time permitted for the publication of the Benke's London accounts. Um, one of the things which, which I still find amazing is that um, they didn't make use of the ability to force out the tiny shareholders who dated before Jack Walker, when they bought Rovers. As a result of that, they have to go through a sort of quasi-public uh, general meeting, which means that the Rovers accounts invariably come out in um, November, December time. So we're going to get the June 2014 accounts uh, sometime in early December, probably this year. Uh, and that, that will give us another picture as to how much they're losing. I, the loss, I anticipate, will be down on last year. Uh, you know, we haven't gone through so many managers this year. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the Chevy scene, et cetera, et cetera. And there's, yeah, there's been a general attempt to, to bring the club back into some sort of uh, um, reasonable management. I mean, as, you, as we were hearing about the Jordan Road situation, it, it's, we're not all singing from the same hymn sheet yet. Mm. 
but uh, it, it's not the farce it was. You know, we, we there, there are other clubs who we look at and we look at their supporters and say, well, you know, you're going through what we went through. Mm. Uh, how, how does this all relate to uh, financial fair play? I mean, the, the club has actively been getting players uh, with high wages, high, you know, the high earners off the books. Uh, from uh, last uh, uh, January transfer window, and, and then again uh, this uh, uh, this close season. Uh, well, how, indeed, how does it relate to FSP? I mean, basically, the, the, the sort of ban on transfers sort of comes in next year. Mm -hmm. But the way that financial fair play is worded, so far as I'm concerned, it means that we wouldn't do ourselves any favour uh, spending money on transfers right now. Um, however, there are plenty of clubs which are in financial fair play trouble, and they've been happily buying players this summer. Mm. And I, I think, I, you know, um, yeah, I, I would personally, if I were the owner of a club who, which is being pulled in for financial fair play problems, I would go to the authorities and say, "Okay, here's the keys. Take it. It's yours." If you're not allowing me to, to run the club as I see fit, you you, know, uh, you shut down a 135-year-old club, uh, and, and on your head be it, the Football League. Half, now, the, half the championship is in financial fair play trouble. Um, exactly. The rules of financial fair play are not particularly clever. No, and, and the Football League are absolutely petrified. They've been scrambling around last two, three months to try and get uh, the financial fair play uh, amended, the regulations amended. Unfortunately, the League One and League Two clubs rejected that. So they're now looking at some kind of other um, alternative kind of um, uh, way of getting around it because they are absolutely petrified of clubs taking legal action against them and they are not confident that if it went to the law courts, particularly for the clubs who've come down from the Premier League, so the likes of Rovers, Wigan, Bolton, uh, you know those clubs, particularly them, uh, if they took it to the law courts, they've got a very good chance of getting FFP overturned. And not only that, they could then turn around and sue the Football League because you know they've been restricted from trading the last two years in in the way they wanted to do so. So. There's this whole legal minefield ready to blow up at any time. And that's why the Football League have been really scrambling around to try and get some kind of uh, amendments made to it or a postponement because they are, they are petrified about it going to legal action. And the ones, the Premier League clubs in particular who've come down will probably have a quite a, a strong case to get it overturned and then if they manage that then it would open up uh, legal recourse for suing the football league for restriction yep. of trade etc so so that's why the likes of Wigan and, and other clubs are still continuing to sign players and strengthen the squads Derby you know they're all contravening football financial football fair play football league sorry fair play but they seem to be pretty confident that there's going to be some changes made, and if not, then they're going to take some legal action, which uh, they must be confident of getting FFP overturned uh, full stop. Well, I believe that the Football League were enormously relieved that QPR got promoted. 
Yeah, but they've got to hit them with the fine, forty-five million pound fine. You know, if they're going to implement this um, exactly. uh, financial fair play, they can't. They cannot say, "Well, oh, we're just punishing the uh, the likes of Rovers, etc." They're going to have to punish everyone, and if that's the case, then they're going to have to fine uh, uh, QPR forty-five million quid. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, quite. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, quite honestly, it's a mess. Exactly. So a lot of the clubs have been ignoring it. To be, to be honest, Rovers have been quite studious about trying to comply with it and getting, like you said, getting the uh, high earners off the books, etc. But from what I can see, a lot of the other clubs are just ignoring it. Well, I mean, to be perfectly honest, we still have Derek Shaw as chairman. And Derek Shaw is a genius who said that we would be in trouble for, you know, he's actually gone on record that we're in trouble on FFP and all kinds of awful things were going to happen to us. I mean, frankly, that was one of the most idiotic things I've ever seen any chairman ever say. Exactly. You know, exactly. If Rovers go to court, that's going to be thrown straight back at them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the defence may be, well, yeah, we've got a rogue chairman again. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> crazy um, t- talking about uh, uh, wage wages and uh, high earners uh, presumably irrespective of FFP there's been a, a need financially uh, for, for the club to get their wage ratio down uh, I'm just wondering whether the accounts indicate uh, that the wage ratio is coming down I think it was something ridiculous like 94 to 96% uh, previously, it's, it's, it's still well over a hundred percent. In fact, I think it's slightly increased. Mm. This is this. Well, let me be clear that this is comparing Benkey's London limited accounts with the previous year. Yep. So, so the the, the ratio actually went a bit worse. Uh, that's presumably because uh, income as a whole is down. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, and you know, income through the gates is about three and a half million. I mean, it's nothing. Um, you know, and and now that we we're no longer receiving Premier League um, uh, television deals, you know, I mean, effectively, um, you know, this is a a club which had a turnover of sixty million, and you know, um, a year from now, it, it will have it will be lucky to have a turnover, I don't know, above twelve million. Yeah. And that's the consequence of yeah. the sheer idiocy and, uh, you know, the, I would, I will say it, the total incompetence uh, of a certain agent who mm. supposedly knew how to run a football club. Mm-hmm. And then compounding it by bringing Shebby singing during the first well, I mean, season down. Mrs. D actually had, I mean, unbelievably, Mrs. D actually had the accounts balanced at the point we got relegated. Yeah. Shebby just blew the lot. Exactly, exactly. Crazy. So they made, they they compounded their own mistake. Absolutely. So, yeah, basically the wages are coming down uh, as as an absolute figure, uh, but the income... Uh, as a whole, is coming down at an even greater rate. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and the losses will be quite high again this year because you've got to remember, while we've not sacked any managers, we've paid off a lot of players. Um, 
you know, so 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 those figures will be in 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 the accounts as well. Yeah. Well, actually, the the and when did we get rid of them? Because I think well, some of them went out to the thirtieth of June. Ah, they? yes, yes, yes. That's right. Actually, yeah. yeah they, so, so they, they, they may be in the sort of subsequent events. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and presumably, this is planned that they will have looked at the timing of it, thirtieth of June, and said. Right, we'll put this right. this lot in uh, before before thirtieth of June yeah, and, and leave a few till after. I really, I, I don't see enough intelligence. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Maybe being rude, being very rude here. Uh, but when Karen Silk was around, well, Lisa was a, a, a an FD who knew what, what she was doing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I may be being terribly unfair to the current FD. <laughs> I see. I see. Good. Um, we had considerable concerns uh, about going into administration um, before the. I think it's the the, the final mar- uh, March, final final Thursday in March. I think isn't it um, the the crucial date? Uh, but that didn't happen this time around. Um, are there going to be similar fears played out between now and uh, next March? Inevitably. Mm. I mean, you know, it really comes down. You know, if Balaji decides not to write the checks, then we're out. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, the, 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 um, the cash will dry up um, in days or weeks. Mm. So, uh, you know, and, and Cami has just said that they're going to take a long, long, hard look at it. So it is... Um, literally life or death, that we're up there within touching distance of promotion, if not in the promotion places. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd hate to see um, what, uh, you know, if, if we drop right off the pace. And, you know, this is a very fickle division. Um, yeah, you've got, <laughs> I don't want to get paranoid, but those penalty decisions going against us, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I think that we are good enough um, to, to get automatic promotion almost with the existing squad if we're fortunate with injuries and if Gary Boyer learns how to manage the second half. Um, you know, uh, we, we've had this magnificent unbeaten run. Um, there's no reason why we can't can't keep it up. We certainly have the fire the firepower up front to to cause damage. It, it really comes down to um, whether we can handle uh, team, the opposition managers going to Plan B and Gary spotting it and knowing what to do about it. Um, but I, I really think that um, yeah, we do stand a good chance of, of, of being in promotion contention, and, and I fully hope and expect that we will be. Um, it, it's, uh, but if we don't, if we're not where I think we should be, then frankly, uh, I hate to think um, you know, what it's going to be like in March next year, because if, say, we're in the bottom half of the table come March next year and no realistic chance of getting into the playoffs... Uh, what are they going to do? Because they'll be desperately disappointed. You know, and um, are, they, are they going to stick with this? What would you do if you were in their position? I don't think they'll put it into administration, but 
I think they will look to sell the club and I suspect they've got maybe someone even lined up or someone they think would would want to take over. So I don't think they would put it into administration, so to speak, but Mm -hmm. they could well take a decision to, to actually sell the club. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we've had this conversation before that there's yeah. um, probably far too many skeletons for an administrator yeah. to let loose on. Moving on from uh, discussion of uh, the accounts, um, just to end off on a, a, a slightly less uh, morbid and morose uh, note, uh, this season, key players, Tom Kearney, fans player of the season last season, Rudy Gasted. I think he's got 12 in 12, his last 12 uh, league games now. Uh, Jason Law moved to uh, right back from centre midfield. Uh, got, uh, Jordan Rhodes, of course, uh, 29 goals followed by 25 goals. New contract, hopefully he's staying with us. Uh, up and coming, we've got Jack O'Connell. Who do you think are going to be the key players for the season? Uh, start off with you, Cammy. Uh, Tom Candy, definitely. Um... He's our. He can become our two guy. Um, he 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 he's definitely the one that can help take control of games, etc. So Tom Ke- uh, Tom Kenny's one. Uh, obviously, if we keep Rhodes, then he's going to be key. And Rudy Gasted is the other one. Uh, I'd called him famously Leon Best Mark too. How wrong was I? <laughs> uh, uh, he's been fantastic. You know, the, the the physicality that he shows is, is brilliant, particularly away from home. He's scoring goals as well. So he'd be the other one uh, that I would I would say. And Conway and Marshall maybe as well out wide if Boyer can, wants to play this counter-attacking game. Uh, you need pace out wide. So so, so those are the, the five, I would say, that yeah. we, we would need to play at the optimum uh, if we want to do something. Uh, it's significant that you've picked out all the uh, basically attacking players. Yes, uh, the defence is uh, <laughs> uh, less said about that, the better, I think. Hmm. Although I have to say I've been very impressed with Baptiste uh, well, at centre-half. Yeah. At right-back, yeah. he was a uh, first game, first half, he was like, wow, hmm. this guy is getting done all the time. As soon as he went to centre-back, he was looked comfortable, good, quite a good reading of the game. Uh, not scared to put his head in where it hurts. Um, so I've been fairly impressed with him. Um, um, you know, so 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 there's some hope there. And then Grant Handy is obviously Grant Handy can be brilliant, but he can also be rash if he can cut those rash moments out and just concentrate on what he's good at, which is defending and getting the ball and clearing it and not making those rash challenges. Then there is a good defender there, but. You always worry with him in terms of is he going to do something rash at a key moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Baptiste uh, against Stoke in the uh, pre-season friendly, he was playing at fullback, and uh, he had me a little bit worried against Stoke. And uh, then Cardiff, uh, I, I was even more worried. Uh, as soon as he moved into se- central defence, however, he looked much more calm and assured. And uh, he had a very, very good game against Bournemouth, I thought. Uh, so, mm, uh, I'm pretty, pretty impressed with uh, uh, Baptiste, uh, having had initial reservations. Philip, uh, who do you see as key players for this season? 
Well, I mean, I <laughs> I, I would I would just select uh, Robinson and whoever's playing in the back four. Um, we don't think that. Well, first of all, they've got to stay fit, and secondly, they've got to prove. I think a lot of us wrong and really gel into an effective unit. If they do, if those five um, come good and our goals against uh, column uh, decreases, then we're going up. Because we've got enough in the midfield and the forwards to, to, to do any club damage. But um, it's, that back, it's that back unit. Mm. And, you know, I, I think, I mean, I've been very impressed with what I saw of Baptiste. I, I think um, Hanley can be a very good defender. But if you've got a cute forward against him, you know that he's going to buy uh, a decision against Hanley. Um, I thought um, Adam Henley, uh, back from injury, I mean, there's a tremendous little player. Uh, Lowe going to full back. Marcus Olsen has pleasantly surprised. You know, um, I, I, I think the, if we lose one of Baptiste or Hanley to long term injury, I mean, we, we're naked at the back it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible situation to be in but if they keep fit and they get together as a unit and they start being miserly um, then that to me is the key to going up mm. the back the back row and, and, and Robbo mm. for me yeah. they're the key players yeah. Kilgallen's already injured um, absolutely like, like you say we're pretty threadbare in the middle uh, Jack O'Connell, I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing him at some stage. Um, well, I saw him as a youngster mm. uh, playing in the, the FA Youth uh, final. I know we, we, we got turned over by, uh, I mean, I remember uh, the FA Youth Cup final against Chelsea. Chelsea. Yeah. He played in that. And then the, um, the, the Premier League uh, reserves playoffs game against Fulham. Uh, I think he played in that as well. Uh, I mean, obviously, there were disappointing results, but I thought O'Connell's uh, looked very much the part. And, um, you yeah, know, I think, I, I think there is potentially a very, very good player there. Mm. Yeah. Interesting that neither of you uh, mentioned the, the centre of midfield. Um, for me, the, the Bournemouth match uh, indicated for me what's a major problem. Uh, the uh, opposing teams when they run at us, um, it's uh, um, it's quite disturbing. Uh, they seem to be able to cut through cut through the centre, through the middle of uh, the park, uh, like a knife through butter. And uh, when they hit the uh, edge of the area, it's Keystone Cops uh, stuff uh, at the back. And uh, for me, it's not so much the back four as the protection that is given to the back four. And uh, for me, also the lack of uh, of a how shall I say a consistent uh, team effort to defend from the front. Uh, sometimes you get it. There's a, a really good period against Bournemouth where we were pressing, uh, but we don't do it consistently enough uh, for for my liking. Because uh, when we do it, we look we look uh, we look pretty good, um, and we're we're really missing someone uh, uh, in the middle of the park to to boss other teams. Uh, dominate other teams. Well, if you look at the stats against Bournemouth, you'd have thought we'd lost 6-0 at home to Bournemouth. Mm. 
unbelievable lack of possession. Uh, Bournemouth had, I think, twice as many chances as we had. I mean, four times as many corners. <laughs> it was extraordinary. Mm. Uh, yeah, you know, we, we actually gave them, in reality, a bit of a thrashing. And they were, you know, they should never have been in it. Mm. Uh, uh, ten minutes from the end to come back, you know, with, mm. a, with a free penalty. Mm. Uh, Against that, I was really pleasantly surprised that we totally dominated Cardiff in, in terms of possession. And here was a club newly relegated from the Premier League, so you'd think they were used to, to um, knowing how to pass it around, but Rowe dominated that game. Yeah, and, and we should have beaten Cardiff. We had enough chances in that second half, particularly in the last 20 minutes, uh, to, to win that game. Um, so... That was a hugely encouraging performance, I thought. It was indeed. I mean, we should have had that penalty right at the start. Yeah, definite. Mm. Yeah, I thought the Cardiff match, uh, second half Cardiff, were just happy to uh, cede possession and uh, territorial uh, advantage. Uh, they, they looked extremely comfortable, I thought, in the second half. Um, but, um, yeah, I think that's where the possession comes from. I think they actually gave, gave us the possession. But, um, yeah, um, I, I thought they looked pretty comfortable, to be honest. Well, I mean, everything we're saying mm. really cries out for two or three, you know, uh, seasoned pros to be brought in. Mm. You know, and that would um, make, make, make an enormous difference. You know, there's been on the comments on the, on the boards about, you know, the big difference people players like Kevin Moran made to us. Uh, you know, in previous uh, campaigns, um, we need to find somebody like that. Uh, did, did, did we bring Colin Hendry back when we went up? Yeah, we did. With, yeah, with, with Hendry, Kenny. people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the last time, remember, we bought Brad Friedel in and Henningberg, didn't we? And Mark, Absolutely, yeah. And Mark Hughes as well, I think, wasn't he? Did he arrive? Yeah, I think he arrived the year we went. So, yeah. Um, that's a good point, Philip. Uh, the last two times we've gone up, it's not been the young players, it's because we bought some seasoned professionals in that have had, had those younger players uh, gel and, 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 and has taken us up. Yeah. Uh, well, it's been good to talk about uh, the beginning of the season again and uh, get up to date with uh, various uh, news on transfers. Um, also, the finances, uh, finding out uh, a little bit more about uh, what, what kind of state we're in. Uh, thanks ever so much to uh, Cami and to Philip L for joining us. Uh, thanks to the both of you. No problems. Enjoyed it and hopefully we'll do another one in next week or so. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, you're very welcome. Good. Well, that's all we have time for. And... Uh, yeah, it's our first, first one of the season and uh, we look forward to uh, having you back with us uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, should be fairly regular uh, now that we're up and running for the season. So uh, thank you ever so much to everyone out there listening to us and wherever you are, do take good care. Thank you. <laughs>